So you're a character. What is a character? Definition will be on the screen here, I think, in a moment. Character. A person marked by what? Notable or conspicuous traits. You are a character. We look at somebody like Cosmo Kramer. What is he? He's a character. We look at this next guy. He's a character, and he hangs out with a lot of characters. Uh, this woman we want to show you has been a uh, controversial character for a couple decades, Madonna. There is a television network, USA Network, who in their advertising focuses on their characters. And what is their phrase? Characters welcome. They are not the first ones to come up with that concept. In fact, the last couple of weeks, we've been dealing with the fact that our creator, in his relating to a broken down creation, issues this invitation. Characters welcome. In fact, those characters came to Jesus and said to him, how do we relate to God? He said, it, it boils down to simply two things. Love God with your whole heart and your neighbor as yourself. That's how you relate. So I want to go to the back end of that statement for a moment and talk about love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because we're characters. Those notable and conspicuous traits, great other people. How many of you have ever been frustrated with somebody else's character? How many of you have been frustrated with your own character? How many people have been frustrated with your character? Yeah. So Jesus said, if we could learn to love each other, give acceptance to people in our arena of, of our worship and in our faith and the community of faith, if we could do that and, and live with each other with those unique characteristics, he said, if you'll gather together like that and stay unified in love, I'll show up. He said, if I show up, I'll begin to transform you so that your unique characteristics would soon begin to become expressions of his divine character. I don't know how he does that, but he takes our unique characteristics, our character, and somehow he changes it so that it begins to exude his very character. Paul the Apostle wrote about that. And in the church at Corinth, he said, you're being changed from glory to ever-increasing glory, meaning you are, you are beginning to, to broadcast the divine character of God even in your own unique characteristics. So how do we deal with that? And this morning, I, I want us to talk about a not-so-obvious character fault. My, my sister... Jeannie had a friend in high school who they were good, good friends and upon graduation from Kickapoo High School, Springfield, Missouri, and that is the name, Kickapoo High School. I was part of the first graduating class at Kickapoo High School and Brad Pitt went there, so we're cool. <laughs> so she graduated from Kickapoo High School and applied for her first job out of high school. On the application for the job, it, it had one, one of the questions was this question, can you make decisions quickly and accurately? She thought for a moment and wrote down no. Then she thought a little longer and crossed it out and put yes. 
True story. She didn't get the job. Sabotaged by her own self-doubt. I've had people once in a while ask me, how come you don't sing solos at church? Self-doubt. I have stage fright when it comes to singing solos. In the late 1970s, Pam and I had just been married a short time, and, and I'd been asked to go do a mini concert at a fundraising dinner. They wanted secular and non-secular music, or secular and Christian music. And so we showed up prepared, and Pam was playing the keyboards. And one of the first songs I was going to sing is the old Tony Orlando and Dawn song. How many remember Tony Orlando and Dawn? Tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. So Pam did this beautiful introduction, and I, I started singing. I'm coming home, I've done my time. And a blah, 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 la la la. And Pam knew. I, I, I went blank. I couldn't remember the words. So just being the consummate professional she is, she swung back around to the intro. We started again. I'm coming home, I've done my time. And a blah, 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 Not going anywhere. So people are looking at me now because they're starting to feel uncomfortable for me. So she swings back around one more time. I'm coming home, I've done my time. And we're not going to finish this song because I don't know the words. I never did get around to the ribbon on the tree. Never got there. And that fear has stayed with me for over 30 years. Self-doubt is a roadblock to what we want to do and especially what God wants to do through us. How often have you thought, I I can't do that? And here's an opportunity, and and I doubt that I could do that. Some of you have been so burned in relationships that when you think about having another relationship, you go, I I can't do. I could never. I could never marry again. I I, I couldn't do this. I I just. I doubt that I could handle that thing. I can't. I can't even think about the pain if if I go through another one of these horrible moments. Oh, what, what me? You want, you want me to go to audition for that? I can't audition for that. I, I'm not sure I could do that. I'm not sure that I could handle it. It's just I doubt it. A promotion? Go for a promotion? Go ask, go ask for that promotion? Go apply for that thing? What, what if it doesn't work? And some of us in this place, there have been moments that, that God has whispered to you. You know it's Him, His Holy Spirit speaking to you that said, Hey, I want you to share your story about your, your walk with Jesus, the journey that you had with Jesus. And, and you go, Oh, no, they won't listen to me. They'll reject me. I can't, I, can't, I can't really say that. And you've got this tremendous self-doubt that's sabotaging what you want to be. It happened to a guy named John Mark in the first century. He had been chosen to go with the two heavy hitters of the early church on a trip. He was supposed to go with Saul of Tarsus, who then was known as Paul the Apostle, and Barnabas, a Levite from Cyprus, the two heavy hitters of the early church. And the story goes like this. You'll find it on your notes, Acts 13, verse 4. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in Jewish synagogues, and John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. And from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. When our daughter was in her early elementary age, 
we had taken the whole family to Knott's Berry Farm in Southern California. And so we were walking through the amusement park, and, and, and Christy saw a, a really adventurous ride for her, a roller coaster type ride, and said she wanted to do that. And I said, you sure? She said, oh, yeah, let's go do that. So we stood in line for an hour and a half. Ever done that? Disney World, Disneyland, hour and a half. We went in the serpentine lines, then up some steps, and where the cars come down and park, let people out on one side, and we get in on this side. The car arrived, people got out, and Christy looked at me and said, I can't do this. I said, what? You will get in that car and you will have fun. She's like, I can't get in there. I said, honey, we've been in line for an hour and a half. She said, I can't do it. So I looked at the guy and said, she can't do it. How do we get out of here? And so he pointed kind of disgustingly, and we took the walk of shame through the emergency exit. John Mark is already on the ride. He turns to Paul the Apostle and says, I can't do this. You what? I can't do this. They had to stop the ride. He had to get off and take the emergency exit and go home. So, so wrong was this thing that had happened to him. So inappropriate was this moment that years later, when Barnabas says to Paul the Apostle, hey, let's go back and visit all those friends we made on our first trip and see how their faith is. And Paul goes, that's good. And let's take John Mark. That's bad. He said, we will not take that guy because he is a, and this is the word he used, a deserter. We will not take him. And so contentious was this argument that the act broke up. Paul and Barnabas split ways. Paul grabbed hold of a guy named Silas and took off leaving Barnabas right there and leaving standing right there in this terminal of of shame and failure holding his suitcase of self-doubt. There stood John Mark. So where's your self-doubt? What's in that baggage? And you can't move from that spot. You keep circulating in that spot and you won't take the risk. And although God has been speaking to you, you got to go, you got to move. You are just frozen there by self-doubt. How do you get by that? This morning I want to leave you with just two simple but I think very powerful actions that I'm going to encourage each of us to take. The first is this. Run with people of faith because they will stretch us. After Jesus had died and been resurrected and he ascended, after the church was birthed, a persecution hit the church. Stephen, one of the deacons, is stoned to death. He's martyred. Herod, thereafter, arrests James, the brother of John. You know them, the sons of thunder, James is arrested, he is convicted, and then he is put to death by the sword. Herod so enjoys that, he goes after the apostle Peter. He puts him in prison, but recognizing that the Jewish calendar has brought them to the Passover, he waits until the following of the Passover, and then he is going to take Peter through trial, convict him, and also martyr him. 
He has placed around Peter in that prison four squads of four soldiers each. That's 16 soldiers guarding this one man, and he is shackled between two of them. And yet Peter is sound asleep because he's so at rest with what God's going to do. Peter is awakened by an angel. He stands up, looks around, and, and all the guards are in some kind of divine coma. They're not awake. When he stands, the shackles fall off his wrists. They walk out the cell gates and to the iron gate that leads to the city, and the iron gate, just like you're walking into Wegmans, just opens up. The scripture insinuates that at that moment he kind of comes to himself and realizes this is not a dream, and you know where he goes first, not to his house. But the scripture tells us this, Acts 12. He went to the home of Mary, the mother of who? John Mark, where many had gathered for prayer. So here's what we surmise from that very moment. That John Mark was raised by a single mom. His father's nowhere in sight, probably dead. They are people of means. For everyone to gather in a house, it has to be good size. And we know from history that that house and that family had prominence within the first century Jewish Christian community in Jerusalem. So that when Peter comes out of the prison, he knows that they'll be gathered in that place because he's been there many times before. So he heads back there. And it's a good thing he's been there because John Mark needs him. Because he needs to deal with the naked truth. So I want to ask you again, where is, where is that self-doubt behind that bravado, behind that, that, that false confidence? What is it that's back there? And, and what are you doing to get beyond that? How do you get beyond that moment? I have a friend in Oregon who has an incredible voice. And for 30 years, and all the time I've known him, he kept saying, I think God wants me to travel and sing. I think God wants me to do this as a profession. I think God wants to use me to declare worship for him in concert. I think he needs me to do this. And for years, he's been saying, I think God wants me to do this. And he has not budged. You know why? Because he's insane. We are insane. Let me define insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again and thinking you're going to get a new result. That's insanity. So what are you doing with that thing? What are you doing? Do you, you say, yeah, yeah, I, I want to do this, but I'm just not sure. I, I'm not sure. I, I, I just, you know, it, it, I might fail. And this might not work. And, and so you just, you just, you, you just. And you're stalled in your place. And God says, I've just got such a great thing for you. If you would just remove that self-doubt. On the night that Jesus served his last Passover meal, the night he was betrayed. He was with his disciples and John Mark was around. History tells us that that last supper took place in John Mark's house. So they get to the spot where they have gone through Jesus' declaration of his betrayal and, and Judas comes and leaves and, and then they sing a hymn as part of the Passover meal and they get up to go pray. 
They go to that olive garden for bread and salad and soup. No, not that olive garden. They go to that, that, that olive grove and, and there they pray. And following the prayer, a mob comes to arrest Jesus. And this is what happens. Mark 14. A young man was following along and all he had on was a bed sheet. Some of the men grabbed him, but he got away running off naked, leaving them holding the sheet. That naked guy running through the Olive Garden? John Mark. See, more than likely what had transpired is that their departure had, had, had suddenly come upon him. He realized they were leaving the place and he may have been resting and so suddenly he just grabs a linen sheet and puts it around him and runs to see what's going to happen and gets caught in that whole mob scene. And there he runs. He tries to hide. He deserts his friends and Jesus at that moment. He panicked there and then he panics when Paul and Barnabas are together. He panics. So what do you do? You do what he did. He wrote those words. He is admitting. There comes that moment, there has to be that moment, that we come face to face with that thing that has caused our self-doubt, and we've got to look it in the eye and say, I'm going to change you. I'm going to admit that it's there, and I'm going to change you. I'm coming to grips with this thing, and I'm, with God's help, I'm going to change you. I'm not going to just stay here chained to this thing. In fact, I just want you to right now to think about that thing that brings you self-doubt. And I want you to say really loud with me, and it's always fun to use the finger thing, go, I'm going to change you. You ready? Think about it. Now say it with me. I'm going to change you. Did you mean it? Some of you say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever done. I want you to do it again. Say it with me. I'm going to change you. Something transpired there. He came to grips with this, that he either had to say, I'm going to change you and face it, or he would have to stay in this cul-de-sac of self-doubt and and keep himself chained to the elephant in the room that he would always ignore. And we know that he confronted it because years later, this man, Paul the Apostle, who so detested this young man for his desertion, Paul the Apostle, who's soon going to die, in prison, in Rome, writing to one of his protégés, Timothy, says these words, 2 Timothy 4. Only Luke is with me. Get who? Get Mark and bring him with you because he is what? Helpful to me in my ministry. The wording that he uses there, helpful to me, means he's profitable or it means he's, he's easy working in the ministry. Something transpired. There had to be a confrontation with his self-doubt because Paul is now declaring that this young man must come to me because he is easygoing. He is low maintenance in ministry. Even when you come to those difficult moments, when you come to those moments of persecution, it does not phase him. He is now strong and has this ability to carry on through. I need that man with me here in prison. Bring him along because he's easygoing in this stuff. He has learned to cope with what is ahead of him. How? I think it's simply because John Mark found a dad. 
You got one? See, a few years later, Peter would be in Rome. He would soon die. He was imprisoned. And he writes these words in First Peter, his first letter, chapter 5, verse 13. Your sister church here in Babylon, meaning Rome, sends you greetings, and so does who? My son, Mark. See, all that time that Peter had been going to his house in Jerusalem, there was a relationship established. There was this, this intimacy established, my son. What is, what is Peter best known for? What? Big mouth. Turning his back on Christ. You want to talk about failure. But this guy who knew failure also knew what it was like to be confronted by Jesus, have his wrong brought forth, and then have it healed by Jesus' forgiveness. He knew that failure was not fatal. So he puts his arm around this young man who has so much self-doubt and says, I want to tell you by my very life that failure is not fatal. So who do you have? I want to encourage you today to think about a man or a woman who has faith where you have failure. And come to them and say, adopt me. Teach me. Teach me how to get through this spot in my life that has failure. I'm a lousy husband. Please show me how to do that. Now, ladies, you don't go to the guy and say he's a lousy husband. Help him do that. I'm having a tough time getting through my kid's adolescence. Somebody help me. I'm, I'm having trouble with debt. Show me how to get out of debt. Find the person who you know has faith where you have failure. And say, you've got to lead me through this. Could, could we take time? And when someone comes to you, really consider it. And, and this is not just, oh, I'm going to just do something on Sunday morning with them. This is a relationship. Let me walk you through this thing. Following Jesus is not just showing up on Sunday morning. Following Jesus is a community with fathers and mothers of the faith leading the way. Deep growth happens best with mentoring. And that means it's not a program. It's you being smart enough to say, I want to grow out of this, this self-doubt. Help me get out. A lot of you in this room know the story of my son, Dustin. That from about grade five through his junior year in high school, he was resistant against his family and against God and against the church and even law enforcement. He spiraled down deep into a hole of, of darkness and isolation. We couldn't get him to leave the house he wouldn't go with us anywhere. He wanted to stay there. He was a homebody. He stayed put unless he went out with a couple of friends where he could stir up trouble. He hated reading. He hated studying. The only thing he wanted to do was become a professional wrestler. And we broke a lot of tables and lost a lot of ladders in those days. We had a neighbor call us once and say, I saw your son jump out of your second story window onto a mattress. Is that normal? <laughs> For him it is. He hated school. He flunked health. How do you do that? 
So by God's grace, he started out of this hole, and it was about the time he started realizing he needed to come out. There were about four guys, juniors and seniors in high school, that adopted him. You say, but wait a minute, you're talking about moms and dads in the faith. They were. They were a dad in the faith for that boy because it's not age, it's maturity. They said, come hang with us. They taught him how to love God. They taught him how to be adventurous. They taught him how to learn. I was talking to Dustin Friday. I said, hey, I'm going to mention this thing and Tell me about these guys. What do they do for you? He said, well, they, they made me understand that I could find God everywhere and enjoy him everywhere, and it wasn't confined to this religious institution that I felt so confined in. He said, I, I discovered the fun of loving Jesus in every place in the world. And that I could, I could really, I could, just, I could just be me. I could actually be me out there. They taught me how to, be, to, to just have fun. That, that loving Jesus was fun. And he told me this, and he just said, one of the guys, and I won't tell you who he is because you'd know who he is, one of the guys and Dustin were out sledding, I think, at the Erie Golf Course. And, and so the friend was saying to Dustin, I want you to come to a small group with me. And, and Dustin evidently was reluctant. He said, okay, here's the deal. I'll slide down this hill in my underwear if you'll come. <laughs> Before Dustin could say anything, he had stripped down and slid down the hill came back up and said, you're coming with me to Bible, to, to small group. Dustin said, yeah. Now, I'm not, I'm not telling you that's a pattern. <laughs> and so it drew him in. And, 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 and the result of, of those dads, if you will, filling that role is the fact that Dustin now honors Jesus with his life, with his whole life. The kid who wouldn't come out of the house, his love for Jesus has, has taken him all over the United States into the jungles of Guatemala. And in two weeks, he goes to Australia for several months. The kid who hated studying and would not read, now that's all he does is read. And not just surface stuff, but the deep masters of the faith. And he absorbs it. And he asked me questions. I have no idea what he's saying because it's so deep. It's beyond me. It just goes, talk to me in English. What is that? The kid that didn't want to go to school is finishing his Master's of Divinity and, and he's going to Australia to be an assistant to a professor in a Bible college and help teach students how to love Jesus and how to study. And this is the kid who here in this town, a Christian school, kicked him out. Why? Because there were some guys who said, we'll guide you beyond your self-doubt. That is community. That is God. Run to those who have faith. They'll stretch you. And live within the encouraging voices because they will heal us. At the beginning of the year, someone sent me um, these illustrated 
10 steps for the year 2010. And so I thought that I would share these with you. And uh, they're a little cheesy, put up with me, but I have a point. So here, here's, here's some, some illustrated 10 tips for 2010, 2010. First one is stay out of trouble. Do we have those guys? We didn't find those? We're going to skip those points. <laughs> because one of those points was this. Rely on a trusted partner to watch your back. So I want to talk about that for a moment. Years ago, Pam and I went, many, many years ago, Pam and I went to visit a woman we highly respect, a strong woman of the faith. We had a good time eating at her house, and then she turned to me and she said this. She said, your preaching in the last weeks has not been very good. Could I have more dessert? It floored me because I respect this woman. It's not just somebody I met on the street that doesn't like me. It's just she said, your preaching's not been very good. And then she proceeded to tell me why. I was devastated. I, I, I went home and I, and I, I said, Is, there's nothing I can do. I just, and, and this self-doubt started rising up. See, that's had to be the way that, that John Mark had to feel when he's with this man of faith who turns to him and says, you're a deserter, you've got nothing to give, you can't go with us. Totally devastated. I mean, what do you do when someone strikes a match to your hope? It goes up in flames. And so Paul leaves. Barnabas is still there and he turns to this guy and he says, come on, I will walk with you. I will not leave you alone. He would not go with Paul no matter what Paul said because he knows how devastated this kid is. And so he gathers around him and says, let's go back to my place and we'll regroup. And Barnabas, do you know what his name means? Son of encouragement. He said, I'm going to take care of this. You've got, you got way much too potential. We're, we're not going to let you die. Like going to hang on the vine and wither up. I'm going to take care of you. Now, we don't know what happened in those years when they were together and, and he, he talked to him and encouraged him, but this we do know. Paul, again, in prison, writes to the church in Colossae and says in Colossians 4, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him, and if he comes to you, do what? Welcome him. Paul, the apostle, was going, don't want the guy. He's saying, now embrace the guy and pull him in. Because he's changed. Establish friends who truthfully point you to the future. Find those folks. So I told some friends, I got, I got some friends together, and I, or actually I just talked to them individually, I told them about my encounter with the woman who said I wasn't preaching very well. And, and so I gathered them together and said, what? And a couple of them said to me, was she right? Oh, you're good friends. Did she say anything that had merit? Yeah. Then change. And I did. And you know what they did? 
they made sure that my pain did not create some kind of reservoir of doubt. Because they said, okay, you're changing that, but here's the stuff that's really good, and here's where God's taking you, so keep moving on. Isn't that what God said to Joshua after they lost the battle at Ai? They're not supposed to lose battles when they're going in the promised land, but they lost those battles. And so he's whining to God, oh, I don't know what's going on. And God, did you desert us? And, and God says, what are you doing? What are you praying? Here's the problem. Now go change the problem and possess my promises. Now get up and move. So we get on ourselves down, and then somebody criticizes us. And we go, oh, God. And God wants to say, would you get up? Get up, fix the problem, and possess the promises. Just keep moving. You see, encouragers confirm faults. They'll be honest with you. Otherwise, they're not encouragers. They're flatterers. You want someone to tell you the truth, speaking the truth in love. But they will also then affirm your potential and say, now keep moving that way. John Mark got so over this thing that in his times with the apostle Peter, he recorded Peter's stories about Jesus. And you read them when you read the New Testament because it's the second book of the Gospels, Mark, upon which Matthew and Luke based their stuff, built upon that. And as you read his stuff, it's fascinating because he, he, he's speaking specifically to a group of people who at that moment are going under intense persecution. Nero, the Caesar, burned half of Rome. Most historians believe that. He burned half of Rome. And then he blamed the Christians. Upon doing so, he unleashed such intense persecution that he would wrap them up in, in animal skins and then throw them to the dogs or they'd be torn apart. I don't know how well you can see the picture, but over here are candles made out of Christians. In his garden, he would light them at night to illuminate his garden. It is in that moment that Mark writes these words, his gospel. This man who was so afraid of persecution who said, let me off the ride, so full of self-doubt, and now he faces his persecution, and in his writings, he encourages them, them through the story of Jesus, saying this, we'll all go through persecution. Jesus went through persecution. We can make it through. And then he winds it up with this, because he's coming back to get us. We're going to make it through this, because he's going to return for us. It's just a little bit longer, and he'll come get us. Don't give up. And how do you get to that spot? How do you get to the place that, that you are now a stalwart of faith in the most intense persecution that Christianity had known up to that point? And before you ran and you hid. Because two men, a father of the faith and an encourager of the brother, helped shape this pillar of faith in Christianity's most difficult moment. Service on Sunday is great, and I appreciate it, but that is not the church in its essence. The church is a community of people who have mothers and fathers of the faith who guide us and a group of encouragers who keep moving us toward our potential and our goal. And so this morning, in its simplicity, all I ask you to do is this. Find a mother or a father of the faith. Mister, find a father. Lady, find a mother of the faith. And let them stretch you. It's not a class. You don't sign up for it. It's a relational connection. 
and keep surrounding you a group of encouragers who will not whine with you. Oh, you know, they were so mean to me. Oh, I know. You should just leave that place. Find people who agree with you all the time. That's God's will. Find those people who will say, yeah, is it true? Here's what you should do. And now get moving. Because I'll tell you, if you do that, you surround yourself with that, in a moment of self-doubt, they will remind you of this. stand. Please do that and don't anybody leave. I don't want anybody distracted. I'm going to ask our elders and their spouses and staff that are available and their spouses to come and just spread yourself across here if you will please. So come. In just a moment I'm going to pray a blessing over you but there are some of you in this place who need a fresh start. You've been paralyzed by self-doubt. And so these friends are here to pray for you. So just come and tell them what the need is and they'll pray for you. And We'll stay here as long as there are people to pray for. If you want to know how to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, they're here to talk to you about that. Because it's a faith thing. Can't earn it, can't deserve it, but 
you can find it today. And if you need someone to pray for you because you're sick in body or you just need some help, you just need some encouragement, these are encouragers. And these folks here, moms and dads of the faith, they'll bless you. So in just a moment, I'll be dismissing us and quietly if you want to come and just spend some time here. And as I dismiss, if you can just keep the noise level down so we can hear these folks here. And to the rest of you, you have an assignment. If you don't have a dad or a mom, find one. And if you don't have a group of encouragers, there are a bunch in this place. And we want to encourage you because God has big plans for you. So let me bless you. So may you discover the joy of the journey ahead. May the inner recesses of your life where where you have that doubt, may you confront that now. And may the Spirit of God overwhelm you as you confront it and say, I'll change you. And then I pray that you will have the sensitivity to recognize the people around you that God has placed there to be a mom or a dad in the faith. And may you have the discernment to gather around you the people who will encourage you, that you will not give up. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So now, some of you may want to come and be prayed for. Please come, and please respect this time up here. God bless you. See you next week.